Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, are we, is this working? Oops. Not, not there. There you go. Get up there close. Okay, good. Good morning. As we always say, we'll welcome others as they come along. Nice to see you, ma'am. You know some of these nice people. Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> you met her at Carly. This is Roxy from Carly. Uh, Carly. Hen, Honey, and Carlos. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Roxy. Yeah, I don't remember you. I'm Dan. Dan Truitt. <laughs> yeah, we remember you well, Roxy. Yeah, we're glad you're here to obviously care for the Gillespie family. So thanks for coming. Thank you. It's Good. a pleasure to be here. Glad to, glad to have you. Who are you? <coughs> My name's Roxy. Why the what really? I'm with the Gillespie family. Oh, okay. And you came from LA? Thankfully, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> My grandson's from in LA, though. Oh, oh man, it. that hurt because I grew up in LA and lived most of my life in LA. She just like put a knife in me by agreeing with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like going, well, she speaks truth. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Disrupting the class. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. That was my fault. That's okay. Thankfully, you're here for <clears throat> Well, in a, in a sad way, our path crossed with Roxy uh, during the illness and death of your husband. Her husband was the pastor at the church there for how many years, Roxy? So much for being anonymous. <laughs> well, you became very dear to us during those months. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, we're glad to have you among us. How long will you be here? Um, I'm here a total of 15 days. Uh, I leave on the 23rd. Okay, good. Well, thanks to all of you for being so embracing to them. It's pretty amazing. Most churches are to a little bit, but you guys, it speaks volumes. Well, we're grateful for what God's doing here. and They're easy to, to embrace. They are. Yeah, they really Those are. kids are amazing. They really are. Okay, well, uh, good to see you all here today. And we're back in our study of Proverbs. And I just uh, love this book, and I love this book. Uh, do you know the name uh, Francis Schaeffer? Uh, he was an apologist, and I don't know what all, all you would uh, describe him, but I remember hearing his testimony after he was saved. Uh, he would have his Bible on his nightstand, and sometimes during the night he would just reach over and pat it because he, he loved the Bible so much. And We don't worship the Bible, but we love God's Word. And, I just love the study that that I'm uh, responsible to do to prepare for something to have for you on on Sundays uh, studying this book of Proverbs. So let me pray and then we'll we'll get back into it. <clears throat> Our Father, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us that you have wonderfully uh, kept for us during uh, these centuries, millennia. We thank you that we have it here today on our devices or in our laps, and, and we, we know it is the living word. And so we pray now that as we read it and try to study and understand that you would give us the ministry of your spirit that we may 
uh, see what we need to see today. And I pray for each person in the room that you would bless them and encourage them and strengthen them and me too as we're nourished by your word. And most of all, we ask you to make the Lord Jesus uh, precious to us today. May we see him a little bit more in his glory and majesty. And we pray in his name. Amen. So last week we began a study of uh, the five fools that are in Proverbs. We got uh, we got a couple of those done. So I didn't do new I didn't do a new handout for you. But if you look on the on the page opposite from the chart, I just want to kind of remind us of where we um, where we've been and where we're going. So these these five kinds of fools in Proverbs, and not just in Proverbs, and throughout the Old Testament. And as we saw last week, even and obviously not the same exact words because the, in, in the New Testament because the New Testament is Greek and the Old Testament is Hebrew, but there's different kinds of people other, you know, mentioned in other parts of the scripture we looked at that. So these five types of fools, um, the purpose, I think, is so we can distinguish them. These are five different words that describe different kinds of fools so we can learn how to how to uh, respond to them, how to care for them, and how to care for others that are, as one writer said, others that are in the wake of their uh, of their foolishness. So they're not. They are distinct names, but the categories are not totally distinct. As you look at the chart, they kind of they can kind of flow uh, together. The lines aren't drawn real real black and white. There's some some overlap in the categories, but they're all foolish. And as we've noticed in our study of Proverbs, a fool is someone, and we're foolish too when this happens to us, that's wise in their own eyes and does not ground their wisdom in the uh, fear of the Lord. So all of these five have that characteristic. They're believing they know what is right, they know what is wise and good, and they're, they're, uh, they're not fearing the Lord. But there does seem to be a progression of the perversity and the severity of this of the foolishness in these five um, these five categories and we'll see that again today and then last week we looked at first Thessalonians 5:14 which gives us um, Paul's admonition to the church at Thessalonica about addressing relating to different people because of their different needs we won't go back and look at that so now let's, let's look at the at the chart. We just literally tipped our toe in the water uh, for uh, number three, the sensual desire-driven uh, fool. The, uh, the, other, the other two that we looked at are uh, the simple ignorant fool and the silly immature fool. And those can almost kind of be, um, uh, they can be, uh, they have a lot of the same characteristics. And for these two fools, these are these characteristics are true of all children and of young people too, in many ways. So there's really good parenting advice here about dealing with those those fools. These are, uh, I guess, somewhat innocent in the sense that they're naive, they're ignorant, and they need to be taught and, and trained. But now we come to this number three on your list. They're the sensual, um, desire-driven fool. 
And this, this guy is kind of a transition to the last two. The, the first two, really our focus is how to help, help them, how to uh, educate them, how to, how to help them to see God's ways. Number three, the sensual desire-driven fool was kind of a transition from, they need help, but you better be careful because they'll hurt you uh, and they'll hurt other, hurt other people. So you can see this, this person makes light of fulfilling his own sinful desires. He's deceitful in his folly and uh, can easily become hardened to correction. And because the center of his life is his desires and he's prone uh, to addictions, to alcohol or pornography or, or gluttony, uh, drugs, things like that. So let's look at a, cu- a couple of verses and we're going to look at one that's really important. But let's look at uh, Proverbs 13, 19, and 20. And these passages just explain themselves really well, sort of. We're going to look at one that needs a little more work. Proverbs 13, 19, and 20. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination uh, to fools. So notice, usually when we think of an abomination, we think of something that's repulsive. To a fool, it's repulsive to him to not get to fulfill his desires. His, His desires are the center of his life, and that's what drives his life. So he really, really gets upset when somebody stands in the way of his desires. This is a terrible um, uh, a terrible recipe for a marriage for one, for one partner to say, my whole life is centered around my desires and say to their, to their spouse, you better fulfill them or I'm going to make life really hard for you. Hey. <clears throat> so um, that's Proverbs 13, 19, and then verse 20 says a little bit more about this person. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools, of this fool, uh, will suffer will, will suffer harm. So this person can be dangerous to us. Mark? I'm reminded of Abigail's husband, Nabal. Yeah. The story of David, a good story. Yeah, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. He's at the bottom of the list, which is a bad place to be in this, yeah. Yeah, because his name, Nabal, actually means fool. That's what, it, what the name means. So, tells you a little bit about this person. Now look at 17, Proverbs 17. So you can see where now this is not just a parent sitting down with his child to try to teach them about consequences and, and uh, connecting the dots of, of life. Uh, this person... Um, there's now a, there is now uh, a caution, a caution to this person. Be careful about how you relate to this person. Now, uh, seventeen, ten. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And that just tells us again that that this fool really resists uh, correction and. Uh, uh, they don't want to learn. They want to have their desires fulfilled. So you can see they're, they're becoming hardened to correction. So this is a dangerous place. <clears throat> if we see this in our children, this, you know, this is okay for a two-year-old or a six-year-old or whatever the age may be. But, or when we begin to see this in people and our children as they get older, this is a very, a very dangerous place.
to be that they did not receive any correction at all. Now, the big one, the big passage we want to look at today for a few minutes is Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. And these obviously, these, these go together. Answer not. You have to read it carefully because they look almost the same, but there's a huge difference. Answer not a fool according to his folly. So don't answer a fool according to his folly. That's the, the advice here. Because if you do, you'll, you'll be like him. So answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself. And then verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So just just read the first half of each one of those verses and you'll see the potential uh, conflict here. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly. So what do you do? Well, it's interesting, I was reading uh, Bill Mounts, he's a Greek scholar. Uh, some of y'all may have been in Mark Ritchie's Greek class, he used Bill Mounts' uh, Greek, uh, <clears throat> Greek textbook. <clears throat> I thought he had an interesting perspective. He said the, the people that, that read this that don't have a high view of Scripture, of the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, all they say is, well, here's one of those contradictions, and we just got to live with it. And, um, but he's, he made the interesting point. He says, uh, use your brain a little bit, sir or ma'am. An editor would not put a contradiction uh, in two different sentences back to back like that. That, I mean, that'd be stupid for an author to do that. So his point is, maybe he's up to something more than you realize that he's up to. And it reminded me a long time ago, weeks ago now, we looked at at, uh, Proverbs uh, chapter one, where Solomon's laying out what he wants to do, and he says, to the simple or to the to the uh, naive, he said, "I want to teach you about the sayings of the wise." And, and then he said, uh, "And their riddles, meaning their dark. In fact, in some in some versions, it's their dark sayings." And I think he's saying there that uh, sometimes we're going to need some hard work and some wisdom to understand the wisdom. So this ought to excite us. I think that uh, this looks like a contradiction. But we know it's not because of our because of our view of scripture. There's not not any contradictions. There may appear to be some, but not in but not in the scriptures as we can understand them. Um, but there must be something really good here, if it's uh, you know if it has this sense that that uh, <coughs> has a contradiction. So <clears throat> so I got some in, insight from Bill Mounts, and I mentioned uh, my other friend um, Walkey. <coughs> He's He's Bruce Walkie's kind of considered to have done the 1,500-page uh, commentary on the Proverbs, and he, he takes the same position. And they both refer to what's called the Septuagint. So I've done a little... Is this in the way? Can y'all, can y'all see this? The Septuagint... Um, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So, you, you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, Back around the second or third century BC, before Christ, 
approximately 70 Hebrew Jewish scholars got together and they said we need to translate the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible into Greek because we have Jewish people living in different parts of the world and they're speaking Greek so we need to provide a Greek translation for them so you'll see this uh, the Septuagint and you'll see the Roman numerals for 70 because I don't know if they're exactly 70 scholars but approximately 70 so you'll see that sometimes in uh, uh, in Bibles, I, I think probably sometimes even the notes in in your Bible, like in the ESV, they refer to the uh, to the Septuagint. So that's what that what that is. And interestingly, uh, it's often quoted in the Old Te in the New Testament when the when the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, they often quote the Septuagint. Is that a question? Okay, just scratching your head. Uh, okay, so. Oh, the the uh, the issue here is a, a little Hebrew uh, preposition uh, according to. I don't know much Hebrew, so I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to trust these guys that they that they know what they're talking about. The little uh, seeing in verse four, answer not a fool according to. That's the that's the Hebrew preposition. And you notice it's used again, the same preposition used down in verse 5, but answer a fool, a fool according to. And that little, that little preposition can have a wide number of ways you can interpret it and, and apply it, so it has to be understood in the context. So the Hebrew guys would understand this, but we don't because we're not, we're not Hebrew. But when, when, the, when those Hebrew scholars translated the Hebrew into Greek, they cleared up the problem. Okay? Have I, have I completely confused you? And, okay, so so this is this is the English translation of the Greek. That's the translation of the Hebrew. But notice what they've done. This is that this this is that preposition uh, in the Hebrew and when these guys translated it they cleared up the problem. Okay, so the first phrase says, do not answer a fool, and they said, in accordance with his folly. So in accordance with, in accordance with means the same way. Don't, don't answer a fool the same way he's talking to you. Um, and I think it, there may be other passages that say the same thing. Uh, don't become a fool when you talk to a fool. Don't lower yourself to the same type of communication as a fool does. That's what that, so you can see, let me read verse uh, four again with this understanding. Uh, Do not answer a fool in accordance with his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So that's the first half. Don't get involved, and we're gonna see this in the New Testament in a few minutes. Don't get involved in the same kind of argumentative nothingness that a fool would want, to, would want to engage you in. But then notice uh, these Greeks, these, when they translated the Greek, they added um, but. So they're showing there's a, clear, there's, a, there's a clear distinction between answering a fool. Uh, you don't answer him according to the same way as he was talking with you. But, on the other hand, you do answer a fool according to his folly. 
That is, you do answer a fool to help the fool understand his folly. According to his folly, help him to understand his, the folly. Uh, I think this is really, it really has helped me because, I mean, help me think about how I answer, how I would answer a fool sometimes. The point here is try to minister to this person if you can. Try to help them to see the, the fault of their understanding. I heard one, one counselor say, try to help them uh, see how their dots don't connect. Or try to help them set up a, um, a contradiction in their mind that what they are thinking uh, doesn't play out in, in truth. I've seen, uh, seen people that argue the pro-life position, how they can do this with, with people that are pro-abortion, how they can show them your position doesn't make any sense. And so that's, that's, where, that's where he's going there. Okay, now, any question or comment about this? Because we're going to go to the New Testament and see the same thing. Okay, so let's go to, to uh, 2 Timothy 2. And you'll see that, that Paul says the same, I think, has the same principle here, 2 Timothy 2. So take it, 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 23. So this is Paul writing to his young pastor friend, uh, student, uh, Timothy. So 2 Timothy 2, 23. So as we read these uh, four verses, notice how Paul's saying the same thing. Okay? I think it's really, really helpful. So he's he is... Um, Paul is saying to Timothy, as you engage, I think we could say foolish people in your church or maybe outside your church, uh, keep these two things in mind. So uh, verse 23, 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So, so here's where he is right here. The Lord's servant, in, in engaging a foolish person, must not get into a quarrel, an endless kind of discussion about things that don't matter. Um, verse 24, And the, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So you see the ministry heart that that Paul says Timothy should have. And this has helped me to have a ministry heart toward somebody that I may disagree with in a position, uh, you know, life position. And boy, we got plenty of those, don't we? Human sexuality and abortion and all kinds of things that are, that are in our face. And I think this kind of, uh, there's really an apologetic dimension here. Apologetics meaning uh, arguing for the faith, defending the faith, uh, learning how to to, uh, uh, to engage somebody that has a difference of opinion help them to see. It's out of love and compassion for them that we want to help them to see uh, that, their, that their ways are, are, not, are not true. So, um, verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So notice uh, Paul, what Paul is saying. I think he's saying it to us too. 
Now, only God can change their, their mind. Only He can give them light and understanding uh, to think differently about their position. Um, that would lead them to a knowledge of the truth. And then boy, verse 26 is very strong. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, wow, there is a spiritual warfare dimension here. There's a, a Paul here says there's a, a dimension of, of uh, spirits of darkness clouding in the, the thinking, blinding the eyes of unbelievers. And so, as Paul has said other places, like 2 Corinthians 4 and other places, that uh, God must open the eyes of our hearts. We don't open them ourselves. God must open the eyes of the hearts. And so, so you can see, again, he's saying, help them to see the, the folly of their position, but you still got to leave them in God's hands. God may use the instrumentality of your argumentation or your you know you're helping them to see but they're still left in God's hands only God can open their eyes and do that I read I heard from one fellow at that conference I went to a couple weeks ago by here's what he said by not engaging a fool in his foolishness is our invitation to them to join us in seeking wisdom so we don't engage them according to their way of arguing and foolishness. And by not by, by refusing to do that, then we're inviting them, hey, come join me as we search for wisdom here. Come join me as we search for, for truth. Okay? So anybody have a thought or an under, some more understanding can help us with that? <clears throat> I want to learn to think this way. Um, I don't think this way automatically, but I want to learn learn that way. Joshua, what are you going to say? Uh, I was going to say I have like a different perspective on like with the accordance. If you say like when you answer a fool in accordance with this folly, it's like when you're you're taking their rules that they set out in language, saying like I use like transgender as an example. They say, oh, I'm, I identify as a woman. You say, well, ma'am, I you're following their rules. Okay. Whereas, according to his folly in the second one, you'd say, well, I identify as a battleship. I'm using their folly to point out their fallacy. Good. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Joshua and I have talked about a mutual friend named Greg Bonson. <clears throat> and, uh, and we don't know him. He's been in heaven before we were, even knew who he was. But, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Greg Bonson is a, uh, <clears throat> he was an apologist. And in fact, in the book, I don't know if it's the same book that you read, he deals with this passage here, kind of like what you're saying. <clears throat> at, this, at this level, bring up some ridiculous comparison to show how stupid you know, their position is. That's what he's saying. He might identify as a woman, I'm a battleship, and help him to see, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> Good, thank you, Joshua. I think it's really easy to forget the goal of um, our communication with unbelievers is to, that God may grant them repentance, that part in that passage that if you remember it's all about the gospel, then that will help you from going down to their level of, especially when it comes to things that are so nefarious like politics 
things that don't really matter at the end of the day, they're coming from a, from a different worldview than you are, but instead of winning the battle of whether or not Trump is better than Obama, as it, or Biden as an example, just keeping the gospel in front of you and knowing that that's the end goal of all of your speeches to bring people to repentance and put them in their trust in Christ. It's very easy to miss that. <laughs> You're right, Russ. Russ is saying, um, let's keep the gospel motive of love and care for people. Not just the, ah, wasn't that argument. Remember one time when Megan was about five, six, six years old, a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses came to our door and um, young ladies and I was able to just dismantle them, you know, philosophically, not because I was so smart, but I knew a whole lot more than they did. And I was, you know, thought, well, look what I did. And I noticed little Megan was looking up at me like that after I'd been not, not just the opposite of what what Russ said. And I remember she looked at me, and, I, and the, the young ladies were, you know, they were sad and ready, they were ready to leave. They didn't want to be there anymore. And, uh, and I remember Megan looking at me and said, oh, that's how we're supposed to do this, huh? And boy, I just, you know, felt terrible that I'd done exactly the opposite of what I should have done to care for those dear young ladies there. Okay, good. Well, that's, uh, so <clears throat> what do you do about this person? Oh, I think the, the, other, the other thing here, um, If, let's just look at First Peter 2, 21 and 23. I want us to see um, the Lord Jesus. So go over a couple of books to First Peter. Well, several books. First Peter 2. Twenty-one um, and twenty-two. First Peter two twenty-one twenty-two. Uh, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Of course, this is during his during his trial and crucifixion. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges judges justly. So I think just again to see, obviously, when we want a model of how to do this, the Lord Jesus Christ is our model to do this. And um, so you can think about his last few days, and of course on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then even when he was talking to people like uh, Pilate, you know, Pilate said, do you realize I've got your, your, uh, your life in my hands? And Jesus said, no, actually you don't. You know, <laughs> and, and so he's helping Pilate to see that. And other times it's so beautiful to see how Jesus, um, how his opponents would attack him and attack his authority and attack his character. Like that time, I think it was, was it after he had cleansed the temple or maybe something else. They said, by whose authority do you do this? And so he knew they were not sincere. 
they didn't really want to know. They just wanted to argue with him, and so he didn't. And if I could say that, and then I said, I'm not going there with you. Let me help you to think through what you just asked me. And remember, he asked them a question. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, John the Baptist was his authority from from man or from God. And so he was trying to help them to see the error of their of their thoughts. They didn't they didn't get it. I mean, maybe some of them did, but remember, they said uh, we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to answer because we don't want to deal with the issues. So, so he didn't. He didn't say, okay, let's go back to number one and let's keep arguing this. He didn't do it. He just let him go. Let him go. Okay, let's look at the next one. Uh, I'll move a little bit, a quick, bit quicker now. So the next one, I, and I, I've drawn a, on my chart, I drew a line between number three and, or the first three and the last two, because now we really reached this point where the writer, for Solomon says, uh, you better be real careful now. In fact, pretty much says uh, you still can have some ministry in their lives, but um, they're really dangerous. So let's just, so this is the scorning, scoffing fool. Um, so looking back, uh, by the way, I just, I'll just read this to you that you, you may know, you may have uh, memorized Psalm 1. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So notice uh, the scoffer is the is the final kind of place you don't want to be. You don't want to be in in the, in the place where scoffers are. So this person uh, despises rules and authorities, including God. They they create in a community, in a church, in a family, they create unrest and disunity, and they delight in their abominations. So look at uh, Proverbs 22.10, and we'll just get a couple of thoughts about this guy. Proverbs 22.10. So what we're seeing here is what is our approach to this kind of a person? Um, Proverbs 22.10. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. So that's Solomon's advice to us. If you've got a person like this that's causing disunity and uh, uh, spreading rebellion to authority in your group, in your church, your family, uh, whatever it may be, uh, you got to get them out. You have to remove them. Is what is what his advice is to us there. Uh, look at uh, 24.9. Let's see what that, what that says. <clears throat> 24.9. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. So this, this fool is an abomination of, of wicked expression uh, presence in your, in your group, in your community. And you got to get rid of them, or they're going to—they're going to continue to cause you. At least you got to contain them where they can't cause disunity and trouble uh, in your uh, in your church or whatever it may be. Uh, so you can see uh, 
how do we respond? Do not reprove them. Do not try to help someone who attacks you. Um, <clears throat> we'll look at the Matthew passage in a minute, but let's go to the New Testament just real quickly because I just want, to, want you to see this is <clears throat> throughout, the, throughout the Scriptures. Romans 16. This is Paul wrapping up his his uh, letter to the Romans. So Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And then look at the last two words in verse 18, at least in my version. Avoid them. Any other versions have anything there at the end of Romans 16, 17? Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So he's, Paul's saying this person is dangerous in your church. And particularly for the naive, maybe for new believers and you know, immature believers. And then, look how specific he gets over in Titus 3. So Titus is after 2 Timothy. Titus 3, let's do uh, 9 and 10. Titus 3, 9 and 10. And so, notice the, uh, well, let's just read 9 and 10. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So Paul is pretty, not pretty strong. He is really clear here. You cannot allow this kind of person to remain in your community, in your, in, in your uh, church or your whatever, in your family, whatever it may be. Again, that has a little bit different dynamic maybe in a family, but still recognizing that you got to contain the damage that person can do because they're, they're going to cause damage if you let them have free reign in your in your group. Um, now look back at Matthew chapter 7. This is a very interesting insight that I got from that conference I went to. <clears throat> I think it was a guy named Breck Hamrick. I should know that to give him credit for it. But in Matthew 7, this is, the, this is Jesus at the end of... Uh, actually, Matthew 7 is the, the third and final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And so 7, 1 through 5, um, you see this, this uh, relationship. There's a conflict in the relationship. It's, he's giving advice and direction to us about uh, how you deal with a person that you think has a fault. And so this is the... Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just read it real quick. Judge not 
that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's a lot there, of course, but so Jesus is talking about how do you deal in a relationship with somebody when there's a difference of opinion about about something that's in their, their life. So that's a He's given a constructive way to have that kind of uh, conversation. But uh, the insight that this speaker had was verse, verse 6 comes on the heels of verse 5. And his insight was, uh, well, I'll read verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample you, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The point being um, that if you're trying to have a constructive relationship with someone and they uh, reject you and they, they don't want to continue in a way toward, toward wisdom, uh, don't, um, so I was trying to find exactly how he, how this fellow said that. I don't think I have it. But uh, he, the point is, we're not obligated to continue to lay ourselves down in front of people that are trying to hurt us, particularly in a conversation that you're trying to move toward, toward truth. So he's saying, if you're trying to bring truth to someone and they just take it and attack you, uh, stop it. Don't go there. And that's really hard for me because I'm kind of a peacemaker. I want everybody to be happy. And, and, uh, but there is a time that says, no, we're done. We're not doing this anymore because... Uh, maybe not so much what they're going to do to me, but what they're going to do to the community. And <clears throat> as, an, as an elder, this does have some, some uh, dimension to church discipline. There have been a few times uh, in this body that we've had to say to somebody, you can't be here anymore because you cause, you cause disunity. And um, we're not going to allow you to, to stay because of that. So, all right, now the last one, just for about five minutes. This is the one that Mark... <clears throat> brought up um, and this is the bottom of the barrel for fools um, the steadfast malicious fool and the, the actual Hebrew word is Nabal or Nabal he has a seared conscience he believes it is right to do wrong he gives forethought to malice and to hurting others and Psalm 14 says the fool is said in his heart there is no God in fact I, under, I don't know the Hebrew but I heard one Hebrew scholar say it literally says, the fool has said in his heart, no, God. They, they believe there's a God, but they say, no, I'm not, I'm not going your way. So I just want, to, want you to see this story that Mark referred to in um, 1 Samuel 25. And I wish we had time to look at it. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, come back to it next week or move on to something else. But in 1 Samuel 25 is the amazing story about David. David is, you know, he's running from Saul and and, uh, uh, and he's in this area. Uh, he's got 600 men, at least 600 men. And they're in this area where there's a, a, a very wealthy man named Nabal. So you can see verse 3. Um, 
The name, this is 1 Samuel 25, 3, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. And boy, what a distinction. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. So uh, David, David and his men were in this area and it was time of the shearing of sheep, so it was a very busy time. And David's men uh, protected Nabal, Nabal's men. And so David, uh, so they're getting ready to have this big feast, this celebration about, you know, after the shearing of the sheep. So David sends some guys to Nabal and says, hey, we've, cared, we've watched over you. Will you, you know, provide some food for us? And Nabal just was terrible. He said, no, I, you're, we've heard about people like you, David. You've, you know, you've rebelled against your leader. And, you know, I'm not going to do anything like this to help you. But they came back and told David, and boy, he got really upset. He said, strap on your swords. And four, David put on his sword, and 400 headed that way. And he said, I think he said, before the, day, before the day ends, there will not be one male alive in Nabal's uh, troop. And so Abigail hears about this. And uh, she realizes, uh, I don't know what all she realizes, but she realizes maybe she's in danger and uh, her husband's in big danger too. So she gets together a bunch of food uh, what her husband should have done, she, she gets together a bunch of food and she uh, intercepts uh, David and says, David, here's, I got food for you and um, don't listen to my husband. He's just a, you know, he's a fool. And, and uh, but I'm here to intercede for him and to give you what you deserve to have. And then she was so wise, she said, because um, you shouldn't take this into your own hands. And David had been careful to do that with Saul. Remember, he, he had chances to kill Saul and he didn't do it. But his anger got the best of him, I think. And he said, how dare him treat me like this? And so he was coming after after uh, Nabal. And Abigail said, don't do this, David. I know that you're anointed to be the future king of Israel. And if you go through with this, you will be, you will, she called it, you'll have blood guiltiness. You'll have blood on your hands. And I don't want anything to, uh, to diminish the glory of your kingdom as God anoints you to be the king. Wow, what a, what a wise lady. I thought about that and I thought, this wise lady got between two fools and kept them from causing a real problem. And, uh, and, and da David realized it. He said, you are an amazing woman. Thank you so much. God has sent you to protect me from making a stupid mistake. And he didn't do it. And it turned out that uh, 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 Abigail went back and, and the next day told Nabal and uh, he realized that he was in big trouble and he had a heart attack. And 10 days later, he died. In fact, 10 days later, it says God killed him. So the point is that the Lord was going to take care of David. He wasn't going to let this idiot uh, come after him or hurt him. But he put this wise woman between the two and uh, more we could learn so much from how she did it out. You know, in some ways she's following this right here. David, don't, an don't answer this fool with the same kind of ridiculous power structure that, you know, power player that he wants to play with you. Don't do it. Um, anyway, I thought that was just really, really beautiful. The last thing I would say about these fools is that uh, the the hopelessness for these fools grows as we go down this page. But let's not forget um, 
the grace of God and the power of the gospel. None of these people are out from under the possibility of God's grace. As Paul said to Timothy, perhaps God would open their eyes and give, give them repentance. <coughs> Remember when the rich young ruler of foolish men came to Jesus and, and, uh, and Jesus said, it's really hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom. And his, and his disciple says, well then, who can get in if a rich man can? And he said, said with man, uh, it's impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. So we said some hard things about these fools, but let's remember as Russ helped us to think about that. Um, always leave open the opportunity for God's grace and let's present the gospel of grace to them. Well, next week we're going to start on the wealth and earning money and what we do with it and all that. So we'll do that, to, we'll do that next week. Oh, now you're getting personal. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Thank you all.